Welcome to this episode of the Farm Exec Podcast. I'm Meg Rivers, the Managing Editor of the Pharmaceutical Executive Magazine and your podcast host. The Farm Exec Magazine is a multimedia publishing brand that brings you the latest commercial insights to master the science of success. This week, I have a really cool speaker on, and I hope you guys are excited as I am. I spoke with Jag Dosange, who is the president of U.S. Neuroscience, and I care with AVI. He was nominated as HBA's Mentor of the Year and has a really cool story to tell. He's such a humble person to speak to. So before I get into it, let's first hear a quick word from our sponsor, and then we will be right back with the interview. Hey there, Andy Studnett, co-host of the Applied Clinical Trials podcast here. Check out brand new episodes of the ACT podcast every two weeks on Tuesdays at 10. And you can find past episodes plus much more by logging on at AppliedClinicalTrials.com. Hello, listeners. I am here with Jag. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Delighted to be here. Let's start off with the first question. Could you tell me about yourself? What led you to the world of pharma? And this could be like your upbringing, what something that sparked your interest, maybe your field of study, anything you want to share. Sure. Well, first of all, delighted to be here and uh, have a chance to speak to you about all things pharmaceutical. And uh, there's a phrase I thought I'd never say all those years ago when I first left college. So I was uh, educated in the UK and when leaving university, it was the chance to think about where I'd take my career. And I thought about it in lots of different ways. And I came across a small company called Alan Hambrys, which was a, well, I thought it was a small company. I never heard of it. It was actually part of a bigger company called Glaxo Laboratories, which was a rather large firm at the time. And, and I had a chance to apply to both of those two divisions of the same company. And in pharmaceutical medical sales, which I heard about because one of my dad's friends was a doctor and I had a chance to talk to him about that. And one thing led to another. And um, I've been in the industry ever since and I've loved every single moment of it. And it's been a real, uh, real joy to sort of understand the mechanics of the industry and the, the whole process of bringing medicines to people. And obviously the journey of ensuring that we could deliver the patients is is really pretty compelling when you actually think about what you do on a day-to-day basis. And it's been a real privilege to be working with so many people over so many different countries around the world and different companies to have achieved that in many different ways. So uh, I feel very lucky with what I've managed to achieve and uh, I'm very excited about what's left as well. So I'm curious, if I'm understanding correctly, it sounds like you weren't really familiar with the pharma industry until you were in university and your dad's friend who worked in healthcare was the one who shared a bit about pharma with you. Could you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So uh, I did a business degree. And as a result of that, um, we started profiling and doing case studies on different companies. And one of the companies we did actually was on Glaxo. So there was a period of time in the 80s where there was a lot of new innovations in pharmaceuticals. And that was a great case study in that in my business degree. And so that first alerted me to it. A whole new world, I didn't know what happened behind the pharmacy. You know, you go to a pharmacy, but when you're young, you don't reuse a pharmacy really. So so as a result of that, I didn't realize there was this whole enterprise at the back of the pharmacy. And so that was my first sort of viewpoint of the industry, as it were, as I sort of did that case study. 
And that's what sort of prompted me to look at medical sales roles in the industry, which would allow me to basically provide an opportunity to allow me to sort of understand and deliver in that industry. And I think um, then I started applying and spoke to people and they went to, I did a couple of, what do you call them, like a field ride, I guess, with prospective employers and went and rode with them and sort of understood what they did and, and so on and so forth. And that was obviously the starting of the job. And once I got into my first job at Glaxo at the time, um, I realized there's this whole world behind it, obviously, of developing the medicine, of, of commercializing the medicine, and, and then life cycle management and so on and so forth. And I was just fortunate to work in all those areas as I progressed my career. And I've never found myself in a situation where you're not learning. And um, I've been, like I said, worked in, started in the UK, did UK roles, also did work uh, across Europe in certain capacities, and then came to the United States and did US roles, business roles, as well as global roles, and also in R&D and sort of global commercial development. And so across the board, I found myself with a range of different experiences, which frankly, have all been very, very interesting and just shows you how complex it is to bring medicine to patients. And it's a process that should be taken very thoroughly because it's so important that it's done properly. And and as a result of that, there's no shortage of things that one needs to understand to do it successfully and also do it repeatedly as well. Okay, so you mentioned work in medical sales, um, along with your many different roles, which leads very well into our next question. Could you describe your current position and its key responsibilities? And perhaps because you've been in so many different roles, maybe what appeals to you about this particular function at AbbVie? So I'm currently the uh, president of neurosciences and eye care at AbbVie, and I uh, look after a range of different areas of therapeutic areas within that. So in neurosciences, that covers off the area of psychiatry, of migraine, of Parkinson's disease, uh, as well as areas related to Botox therapeutic. We also have assets in development in Alzheimer's as well and other neurodegenerative areas as well. So that's on the neurosciences side. On the eye care side, I look after all elements of areas that address the eye, so that we call it very simply the front of the eye, the back of the eye, as well as areas within the eye. And so anterior segment, posterior segment on the retina, as well as glaucoma, which is a condition that unfortunately causes a significant amount of blindness in the world as well. So basically, I have two therapeutic areas with a range of different therapeutic categories within them. And they're all very different, different business models, different regulatory models. I think I have all regulatory models within the business. So whether it's uh, retail pharmaceutical, specialty pharmaceutical, biologics, small molecule devices, device drug combinations, OTC. So I've, I've got a good flavor of all the many different elements of the business, all the different regulatory pathways. And so that is what I mean. It still keeps me very entertained. And it's a, these are big businesses, big fast growing businesses within the company. And also very importantly, have a significant ability to meet a a huge amount of unmet need for patients. When I think of psychiatry, the amount of unmet need for mental health disorders, for migraine, the pain that's suffered by tens of millions of patients uh, where there are better options available, or in eye care where there are patients, unfortunately, losing their vision who don't necessarily need to lose their vision if they had the the right attention and care. So I think it's, it's a wonderful space to be because there's so many significant portions of populations that can benefit at great scale. Out of curiosity, was there anything that in particular drew you to neuroscience and eye care as far as like specialties? What's drawn me to the business I currently run today uh, in neuroscience and eye care, but I would also say it's across other businesses I've been fortunate to work on, whether that's in aesthetics, 
whether that's in uh, the vaccines businesses, whether that's in uh, respiratory, which I've had a chance to work on, or diabetes, is really understanding the customer. Because if you understand the customer, you understand the patient. And so I pride myself on spending time with customers to understand what's making them tick and what's making the patients tick and really understanding the patient journey and therefore the customer journey as a result. And if you can understand that, you can then understand how a medicine or a device or a, a product you can bring to the, to the doctor, the healthcare professional can really help that patient. But you can only do it if you really listen. And I think that's something that I found myself doing a lot over the years, and, and especially now in these areas where I think of psychiatry or migraine or Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or glaucoma, there was just such unmet need. And so our ability to understand what that need is and then develop products or that can really meet those needs for those patients is super important, but you can only do it if you, if you listen very, very carefully. And I think uh, that's been a commonality, I would say, across the board over the years. Before we chat a little bit more about your company and the culture, I do want to talk a little bit about how you were named HBA Honorable Mentor of the Year for 2023. So congratulations. That's really wonderful. I would love to pick your brain on mentorship. It sounds like that might be something that's, you know, a little bit important to you. Could you tell me, I guess, a bit about your involvement with HBA and mentorship, I suppose, in general? Yeah, look, I think um, one of the things is one develops their career and aspirations. You realize you need advice and help for people as you build your career. And I've been fortunate enough to work with many different individuals who were not technically official mentors. But you realize you've got guidance and counsel from them from time to time. And, and maybe in, and some people individually may be much more direct with you to, to sort of show the mirror to you, if that makes sense. And so as a result of that, I've benefited from that counsel and guidance over the years, but I've sought it from many different angles. And some I didn't realize I was seeking and some it was more more organized, should we say. And uh, I find myself in uh, 20, 2006, I think it was 2007, um, I went to a, one of my uh team was actually a rising star at the HBA in New York. And so I went there to support her in that process. And I was blown away by the event, the camaraderie, and the, and the sheer support there was for individuals development in terms of supporting people through a career in healthcare. And ever since then, I've actually been, I realized that that was actually a piece that I was, I had benefited from. And I wanted to also basically try and do the same on a, on a more ongoing basis. And so when went to the, the event a number of times, but then when I joined Allegan a few years later, I helped bring the HBA to Allegan to basically create that same type of connection for people to sort of look to get insights and counsel and support and encouragement from others. And uh, also, as uh, we became part of AbV, we've had the chance to also develop that connection as well. So I think overall, I would say it's been a, a very rewarding and reciprocal experience because you've seen i've seen people develop their careers but also there's people need more opportunities and outlets to sort of get insight counsel and frankly confidence to sort of do the thing that will help them build their experiences in their career and i think hba is a great opportunity to do that and i've just been fortunate enough to uh, work with people who've also benefited from that experience as well my next question for you jumping back to your current position is there anything distinctive in your opinion or experience about the culture of your company? It's a great question in terms of the culture of the company. I, I think uh, Abbey has been incredibly successful over the years. We were, we only became formed in uh, 2013 when we were just a uh, split out from Abbott. And so the company in some respects has 
it's only been around for, for 10, 11 years. But actually, in that short amount of time, it's created an incredible commitment to medicines and we'll see patients through a very broad portfolio and, a, and a, frankly, a deep impact in, in the marketplace for patients and for customers. And so it's done that through one, I would say, one very clear skill set or capability, which is collaboration. The, the collaboration that goes on across all the functions, whether it's in commercial or medical or R&D or manufacturing or finance or legal or compliance or whatever it might be, that that collaboration is really the sweet spot to make sure that small cohort people on a particular brand, for example, really know what the story is for the brand, what the, what the opportunity is for the patient and what the proposition is to the customer. If that's fully understood, then you can execute in a really unified way. And that collaboration really requires inclusion and everyone needs to be part of that. So no one function is in charge. It's actually a collaborative cross-functional sort of process. I think that's probably the, the real secret to the sort of culture of the company. And that also means that when we look at efforts that to sort of increase diversity and in inclusion, it goes to the spirit of the company, which is to include all the voices, not just in terms of how we culturally assimilate in the company, but also how we develop our products and how we go to market. It's about inclusion generally and everyone's voice being counted. So I think that collaboration and inclusion is probably the two key drivers of the, of the culture of the company. I love that. I feel like I've spoken with a lot of folks recently about different approaches to DE&I and one resounding thing I keep hearing is like, there needs to be a seat at the table for everyone. And it sounds like that has been the case for kind of you and your company. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Everyone needs a voice. Oh, just take myself, for example, you know, I'm an Indian man, born in the UK, living in America. I don't sort of fit any mold necessarily. And so as a result, I'm not sort of how you may come across any sort of stereotype, if that makes sense. And therefore, my voice may not be heard as much as others' voices may be heard. You know, I can't say that for sure, but, you know, it just may be the case. And as a result of that, you need to sort of ensure that your voice is heard. And, and I think it's important that everyone's voice is understood, whether it's a female voice or a male voice or a, from a different accent or whatever it might be. And as a result of that, we've got to make sure that we give people the opportunity to be the best they can possibly be. And there's no doubt, if you get the most insightful, diverse group together, you will get better outcomes because you will not all be thinking the same way. But you need a culture that celebrates that and encourages that rather than looks to sort of follow the way in a, in a more sort of monotone way. I love how you stated that. The more diversity you have, the better outcomes you're going to have because of all those like differing perspectives, ideas, et cetera. My next question for you is with regards to, you know, you start out in the industry when you did, you, you were um, working, I think you said medical sales. How has the industry changed over the years since you entered the space and what factors are driving change? And, you know, to ask you a lot of questions, what effects do these factors have on your day-to-day -day job? So I think there's a range of factors that have changed in industry over the years. I think one change is just the number of stakeholders who are involved. When I started as a sales representative, I would have been walking into a healthcare practitioner. And if they were convinced of the merits of my argument, they may have prescribed my treatment for a patient who was appropriate. And that was a relatively straightforward approach. Fast forward to today, there's a number of other people in the system. There's, there's the healthcare practitioner, could be a physician, could be a nurse extender, could be an MP, could be a PA. There's the office staff that goes around that, the office manager who deals with all the areas of the paperwork in the office. 
there's the pharmacy. It could be a pharmacy, a retail pharmacy, it could be a specialty pharmacy. It could be the payer. The payer could be the health plan, it could be a PBM, or it could be a GPO. And it could be the VA, it could be a, a whole different sort of set of institutions. And all of a sudden, you've got this range of different systems or people who are involved in the process. So that's one significant change that's happened, the explosion of all the different people in the value chain, which means your go-to-market needs to be different for each of them, because otherwise you'll find yourself trying to address issues with the wrong resources, the wrong tools. So I think that's one area. The other thing that's changed is, is no doubt is the advance in medicine and technology to, to actually to develop much more targeted medications that can help patients with their conditions and not only help them, but also be more tolerable for them as well, because it's much more targeted on the key areas of the disease, because we have better understanding of the disease because of the technology that advances in science. And so those two things, I think, are super exciting because what that means is we can get a lot more targeted for patients as we move forward to make sure they, they get the benefit without the risk. And to do that, though, will probably require more, a more complex go-to-market strategy, which will mean you need probably different resources, whether it's health economic data or medical support or complex sort of specialty pharmacy networks or collaborations, whatever it might be. It's going to require a different approach. And so from that perspective, they're the two big trends, I think, that have changed over the years. And ultimately, I think it's a good thing for patients because that means they'll be able to access better medications, which will give them better outcomes as well as potentially lower risks as well. It's interesting that you mention one size fits all is something that doesn't work anymore and that there's a lot of personalization involved. How much personalization did you do back in the day, you know, when you first entered the field? And then how much personalization is typically involved? And I know this is an overgeneralization, but how much personalization do you see is generally involved? Well, I, I think looking backwards now is a little too far away, to be honest. I think if you look today, even from five or seven years ago, there's a real change in the way we can personalize the message, uh, the go-to-market sort of communication points. Um, and also, as I said, the mechanisms or the tools or the people or the capabilities you bring to bear depends on the medication and the, or the device that you want to bring to patients. And from there, you then work it back in terms of what does a patient require? Why do they need it? Why is it beneficial to them? And then you work it back in terms of, okay, so what are the, the key drivers which will encourage the patient to want that medication or the, or the HCP to use that medication? And what are those value drivers in the marketplace and then work back from there in terms of then how do you address those market value drivers uh, effectively i think from that perspective it's how you need to personalize each product should i say and then then you personalize it to each individual who could benefit from that product so the the, the, the second piece of that in terms of the more downstream personalization clearly uh, the way we can target individuals now through digital analytics is is somewhat different to where it was five or seven years ago both consumers and uh, healthcare practitioners. And I think, and that's good for them because they get the information they want rather than the information they don't want, or rather than a broad sort approach. And I think that sort of targeted approach, I think is beneficial for everyone because everyone's getting what they want rather than they having to figure out what's important to them. So I think that personalization we can do, and we've, we've got a pretty advanced process here at V as it relates to that digitization. Uh, which, frankly, has allowed us to continue to be more tailored to the needs of the patient as well as the customer. What are some of the most critical assets and skills that you personally must draw on when you're managing people and or perhaps in defining and executing objectives? 
I think the skills I, I look to sort of draw on, I think, when I work with my teams or my colleagues, it's probably it's three, three or four areas I'd probably bring about. Uh, I think listening is super important because you often find the people working on the day-to-day work know exactly what's going on. And we need to give them the, the voice and the amplification to sort of ensure that their voice can be heard such that they can drive the outcome of the game game plan for the companies and that means that we can learn better so if you listen well you can learn so i think learning and listening are super important another piece would be relationships this is a people business you know we work within the company people to people who then we then talk to people who are customers who then talk to patients who are people we are ultimately in the people business however obviously what's important is the medicine that we provide to patients but the way we act, where we sort of uh, transmit that is through all the relationships we build, both internally and externally. And I think that to me is, is super critical for us to to allow ourselves to be successful. And that sort of speaks of the collaboration I talked about earlier. The third thing is around energy. I tend to think that organizations plug into people to sort of get a source of energy. And I tend to bring quite a lot to my d- job and through curiosity or through the opportunity that that lays in front of us in terms of how we can help patients. And from that, there's the ability for us to basically recognize that if, as people plug in, they get energized across the company. And so bringing the energy in to fuel the ideas and fuel the innovation is su- super important. And last, but, but by no means least, is the ability for us to challenge ourselves all the time to ensure that we're not settling for status quo. So if, if we're trying to sort of, we think if we're introducing a medicine that's a breakthrough in terms of mode of action that can really benefit patients in terms of an improved benefit risk profile then why if there's a budget that's set that we achieve then is that good enough or is it if there's one patient who's not benefiting from this then we should set our ambitions a lot higher so how we challenge ourselves is is really important so challenge relationships energy and learning are really important to how i think about how we go to work on a day-to-day basis and how I like to work with the teams and, uh, and frankly, and be successful over the years with each of them. I love that. Okay. My next question for you is what makes a good leader in your organization today? What makes a good leader in an organization? So I'll come back to some of the points I mentioned earlier that you need someone who is very good with people, who can connect well with people, who can lead people, who can manage people and, and also inspire people. So that's one component for sure. You also need someone who can think through and problem solve very well, because I mentioned that the market's only getting more complex and there's no paint the dots exercise to bring products to marketplace. And so you need to think through how you solve the problems in front of you. And so it's going to require people to be really thoughtful and curious in terms of how to solve problems on an ongoing basis. So you've got great relationship building skills and connection skills. You've got problem solving skills. And then the last piece, but don't leave home without it, is the ability to execute. And so if you can marry that mental agility and curiosity with the relationship building skills, with the ability to execute, that's a very powerful combination which allows you to deliver performance. It allows you to deliver people development. And most importantly, it creates a passion around the organization, which it becomes infectious. And as a result of that, people want to be with that particular leader. So that's what I look for, some sort of quotient of those three factors. 
what in your career to date has made you the most proud? And I don't know, have you on the flip side, have you encountered any specific challenges in your career that, you know, you've had to really work to overcome? I think the biggest, as I said, the, the proudest moments I've had are probably where I've been fortunate enough to sort of find myself in businesses or companies or therapeutic categories that had a lot of opportunity ahead of them, but it wasn't obvious from the outset. But with thinking through or breaking down the market or the patient need, we actually could find opportunities that maybe weren't apparent from day one. And I think building markets has been probably one commonality, I'd say, across my career. And I guess that comes from the curiosity to how can you help patients? But the problem is there's no market. And so how do you establish a market and create a market? And so I think back through the work we did on flu vaccines back in the day, um, work done on um, building aesthetics market, uh, Botox therapeutic and building a migraine area. We're doing that now with some new opportunities with some new products and um, in the treatment of migraine. And uh, also in IKEA, we've created new categories which didn't exist. So we brought brand new modes of action to the marketplace. I think as a result of that, um, the whole ability to sort of create something that didn't exist before has is, is been probably enjoyable. And I'd say the other factor is just the teams that we've all worked together on that. Just, it's just been a lot of fun because you, you are breaking new ground and that's quite exhilarating for everyone involved. Challenges have come across. There's, there's always challenges and um, what I see sort of going forward. But I do feel that the opportunity to provide improved and better medicines for patients, I think I think there's a long way for us to go to really ensure that we can deliver for patients in an ongoing, meaningful way. Some categories, we have efficacy rates of 20%, which may be better than placebo, but unfortunately, that means 80% aren't benefiting. And how can we ensure that we can turn that around 80% of patients benefit? And I, so I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to sort of get first, obviously with, with our scientific colleagues to better understand the conditions and the diseases such that we can target better and then develop medicines better. better. So I think that's, there's no ceiling on the opportunity for scientific advancement for us to sort of move forward in, in developing medicines for people that can really change their lives in a, in a meaningful way. My next question for you is related to advice for new professionals entering the industry. What is one lesson you wish you had known about in the days that you were starting out? I think this is a good example of what happens in everyone's career. I think when you start your career, it's all about what you do on a day-to-day basis, what you individually contribute. As you develop your career, it's less about what you do, but it's more about what you do with others and how you work with others. And I think from that perspective, as, as, as your career develops, you realize it's less about your individual work product, but how you actually develop work across the board and the way you can collaborate. And I think there's moments in my career where there's been pivot points where you realize the team's going to get this done and what got you here won't get you there. It's actually, you've got to think about the way you go to work differently. And I think that happened to me, thankfully, a number of years ago. So I, I figured it out. But early on in my career, you think, I can take on the world and you realize you can for that particular small portion of work that you're doing. But as you look to sort of do more things, you need others to help you get and achieve the goal. And so that to me has probably been the biggest learning that you will achieve more success through others. I love that. You will achieve more success through others. Okay. Another question for you. What is next in terms of your career and aspirations? Are there skill sets that you're hoping to build? Essentially, where do you see yourself in five years? 
it's, a, it's an interesting question, isn't it? Because I probably asked that question of a lot of people a lot of times and uh, never really reflected on it myself. I think the thing that I think about is I'm very curious and that's what keeps me engaged and interested. So if I feel like I'm challenging myself and my brain's hurting at the end of the day because I, I haven't solved something or I can't think of a way through, that's a good day. So as a result of that, that's what I look for. And as long as I'm turning up on days like that, that's a, they're good days. I mean, you don't want to do them seven days on a, on a trot 24 seven, but you want to keep that ongoing challenge because it means you're breaking down a problem and it means you're solving something that wasn't solved the day before, which is, which is pretty exciting. So now we're going to shift gears to talk a little bit less about work and a little bit more about other things. How much does your professional life define your personal identity, if at all? Or perhaps do you like to keep those things separate and enjoy a bit of each in their own capacity? I'm curious your approach. I don't really have a rule on it, if I was honest. You know, I don't think about how I separate them or how I bring them together. My wife and I, uh, I've been married for 25 years and we just, we live our life. And my wife, Liz, uh, was successful in the pharmaceutical industry as well. And uh, she was a marketing director in the UK uh, on a major launch. And so we, she knows the industry relatively well. And, and so as a result of that, there's a familiarity from that. And, but I think other than that, I think the most important thing I do is to have a smile on my face and whether it's at work or at home. And if you haven't got a smile on your face, then you need to you need to pick that out. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, that's why that's why I sort of approach life. And uh, in terms of interests, um, my wife and I we share a lot of passions, which is really helpful. So we share the passion for home renovations and home design, which has been great because we moved homes a number of times around the world and different places. And so we've had to deal with different climates and different cultures and so on and so forth. So it's all been super interesting and super fun but always been a passion of ours. And so that's been a, a real interest. And right now we're just renovating some parts of our home now and we're deep into the details of doorknobs and everything else that you can think about to sort of like pick out and choose. And so, uh, but overall, I'd just say, I tend to sort of make sure that we have a smile on our face and if we don't, we need to fix that. Just because I'm I'm curious and home renovation sounds like so much fun, obviously a lot of work, but it does sound like a really fun creative outlet. What are your top, I don't know, one to three tips on home renovation for other folks who might be listening being like, ah, oh, yes, I will. I need to get into that uh, too. I, uh, <laughs> let's just be clear. I know chip gains from fixer up or anything like that. So <laughs> I'm not that handy, but both, both Liz and I have a really good eye for what we like and so sort of design and and how to design things inside a home uh, and uh, and the garden i realized i was getting old when i like gardening so <laughs> but i think overall i would say it's just about just doing what you're passionate about and uh, you know if you're not passionate just hire someone to do it because doing something you don't enjoy that's a real way to take a smile off your face um so, uh, so i find uh, doing things you enjoy is, is probably the best thing to do so i thought the other thing actually we, we love doing is traveling we, we're really big into travel and so we a lot of our families in the UK still, and uh, we have family all over the world. And so we tend to find ourselves in different places uh, quite a lot and meet up with people in different places. And that is a real, real sort of enjoyment factor, frankly, to sort of learn cultures and, and where people live. But most importantly, just to connect and, and hang out with friends and family. I know a lot of this interview has been about leaderships and leadership tips, but I'm going to ask you for one more leadership tip. And this is specific to our podcast what is one leadership tip that you would want to either give to the younger version of yourself 
or to maybe up and coming folks who are looking to kind of grow and be in a more executive position within the pharma industry? One of the main things I've learned over the years, and maybe could have done it earlier, was just never stop listening to others. Others will provide a huge source of insight and everyone's got an opinion, whether it's the right one or the wrong one, it's an opinion and you need to listen uh, really attentively. And I think I talk about listening being so super important. I, I thankfully picked up on that relatively early, but probably not early enough. And so I think listening, people have experiences and you know you just need to recognize that they, they've come for a reason. They have those experiences for a reason. I think understanding them so you can apply them and, or learn from them. And I think that to me has probably been the most insightful thing that I would say that I would provide to folks just to learn from others and listen to others. You, you'll be, be super impressed what you can learn from others just by listening. Jag, thank you so very much for joining me today for the interview and the podcast. And congratulations again on being named HBA Mentor of the Year. Thank you, Meg. Pleasure to be with you today. And uh, frankly, uh, you know, super humbled by the by the award and the honor. But most importantly, I think hopefully what it says to others is there's a lot of help out there for everyone. And just, just go and reach it out. And you'll be surprised how many people want to help you if you ask for help. So. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Farm Exec Podcast, where we take you behind the headlines to provide expert tips from industry leaders. Remember, you can always find us on the web at farmexec.com, on Twitter at farmexec, on Instagram at farmexecutive, and on YouTube at Pharmaceutical Executive Magazine. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of FarmExec, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions or to get in touch with the editors, please email us at farmexec at mjhlifesciences.com. For sponsorship opportunities, please go to farmexec.com slash advertise. Thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next time.